Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey everyone, everyone, welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. Uh, it's the Pop Culture Show with George and Craig. I'm your host, Craig Shop, and with me, as always, is George Thomas, great journalist uh, from the Akron Beacon Journal, does uh, some sports for them, along with some movie reviews. George, how are you doing today? I'm not comatose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's better than uh, better than most, I guess, huh? So, you know, there, there's always that. I'm good. How are you, Craig? I'm doing pretty well. I have to admit, um, maybe shame on me. Up until last week when you said, hey, I'm going to review Ted Lasso season two, got the early screeners. I thought nothing of it. I had never seen Ted Lasso before. But uh, in advance of this show, I thought, you know what? I want to watch Ted Lasso. Maybe George and I can, you know, share notes of season one at the very least. And I got to tell you, George. I just want to thank you because <laughs> that is the show that would have carried a lot of people through the, the pandemic where you needed a pick me up. So I thank you for, uh, for getting me onto that because my wife and I binged all 10 episodes within a five hour stretch, just right. Really? We just could not, I mean, maybe she could, but I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, she liked the series as well, but I just, I just wanted to keep watching and watching and watching. It was like, the most charming and energetic and fun and most sincere show that I've probably ever seen. So I do want to thank you for that. Um, but uh, maybe we'll get into season one here in a little bit, but I know that you have screened some episodes for season two. So let's uh, talk a little bit about Ted Lasso season two, which premieres on Friday. First of all, it snuck up on you, didn't it? <laughs> I, have to, I have to admit, though, I mean, I'm a Jason Sudeikis fan, so it wasn't like I was like, oh, I don't like anybody in this project. I just, you know, my wife uh, got a new iPhone, so we ended up getting a free year of Apple TV+. Plus. So we've activated it, and we've watched a few things. This was something that might have been on the radar at some point, but it just wasn't on the radar early on in the process. But I wish it was because this is, it's to me, with as cheap as Apple TV Plus is, it's almost worth the price of Apple TV Plus every year, at least to do a month of it and maybe binge watch it. And then you can, you know, cycle off of Apple TV Plus until the next season. But this is appointment viewing. Like we, I know we've talked about that with Mayor of Easttown and other shows. This is, this is a show that really, it, I mean, it just hit me over the head with how charming and sincere and fun it was. So um, I'm, I'm definitely excited about season two coming out here today on Friday as we record the day before. You've seen uh, a little sneak preview of season two. What can we expect with season two of Ted Lasso? First of all, I agree with everything you said. It's a right. show that every time you watch it, you don't want it to end. Right. I, I can see very easily how you binge watch the first, first is it 10 episodes? 10 episodes, yeah. 
season two will have 12, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's what I've heard too, yeah. Um, because it's such an enjoyable experience that it just sucks you in. It does. It takes you away. Everything is pitch perfect, and it's just makes you feel good. That's the best way to put it. Now, the, the second season, we're getting a little darker because okay. this is a sports movie. And although Ted, or the first season had its, its moments of raunch, for lack of a better term, it's upped ever so slightly in the context of the story okay. this time around. Um, it gets a little bit darker. I've seen the first three episodes. They're all hilarious. I was ticked off that Apple TV Plus did not provide the entire freaking season. <laughs> I, I, I viewed the first three episodes in advance of interviews of Brendan Hunt and Jeremy Swift, who play uh, Brendan Hunt is the assistant soccer coach. Yeah, Coach Beard, yeah. Coach Beard, and Jeremy Swift is Higgins, who's basically the, the team's GM. I interviewed yep. them. I think the story's running tomorrow on the Beacon Journal and online at uh, beaconjournal.com. But um, they go to some dark places, comedically dark. Um, Monty Python-esque. <laughs> um, just yeah, the, the nearest I can get to it in describing it, you know, Major League had, and everybody around here knows Major League, had its moment of brunch, everybody. But... We're 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 going from major league to let's say Slapshot. Okay. And and, and have you seen Slapshot? I have seen Slapshot. Yes. And, and Brendan Hunt makes no bones about it. He goes, "Yeah, and I'm he's he's also a show writer. He I'm also he said point blank. I'm also throwing around other ideas that related to Slapshot in the writers' room for season three. <laughs> okay. So. The charm is still there. The raunch isn't gratuitous. It's just characters are developed further. Right. Particularly Nathan, the former, what would you call him? Uh, and the the former locker room attendant made coach. Yes, yeah. He His character gets some nice moments. Um <laughs> Roy gets some great moments. The, okay. the, the veteran the, soccer player. Yeah, he really gets some some fantastic moments. And the actor who plays him, um, and I, his name escapes me right now, is just absolutely <laughs> fantastic as he makes the 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 leap into his next phase of life. That's the best way to put it. Um, Anybody who was the, a, the, a fan of the first season won't be disappointed. Anybody who is just coming to it, you still got a day to binge this the first <laughs> season and enjoy it. And you're absolutely right. It's well worth five bucks mm -hmm. to do it. Now, mind you, I've got uh, an Apple TV Plus subscription that goes for free for another 18 months because I bought two Apple. Right streaming devices because with screeners, digital screeners, I needed them for right. me. So, but it's worth the price. And 
and I can't wait for the next nine episodes to see where they're going to take this. When you talk about the sort of the shift a little bit to the darker tone, I, I'm all for that, certainly. Uh, does that mean that uh, Ted Lasso himself maybe gets a little bit deeper, darker, or? Ted can't. I don't you yeah. cannot. I'm Ted glad you're saying that because I didn't want you to say the other answer, which would have been, yes, he gets darker or whatever. Because um, we know he's going through some life changes yeah. uh, in season one. Um, for those of you who don't know, we don't want to spoil too much, but he's a an American football coach coaching at Wichita State, which is a real college. Although I'm not quite sure that they have Division II football there, but he's a successful coach. He's the epitome of what you would consider a player's coach, where everybody would just run through a brick wall for him and, and in the most sincere way mean it because they love him so much. He gets hired to this uh, fake uh, football team in England that plays in the Premier League, AFC Richmond, who's uh, basically in the middle of almost being relegated. He's hired because the the owner, who is recently divorced from her husband, wants to run the team into the ground. So she, she feels like, hey, let's hire an American football coach to run this team into the dirt. She wonder where they got that idea. But right. go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as the story unfolds, you know, Ted go, you know, obviously he's dealing with a lot of changes, but he's also dealing with marital issues and things like that. So we, we do see some potential there for maybe him to become a little darker. But the thing I loved about season one is no matter what was thrown at him, he was the ever optimist. And that is exactly, I don't know if, if this is a, if they purposely dropped it during the pandemic, because it just was, I, I could imagine watching this last year in the height of the pandemic, where you're kind of confined to your house quite a bit because of, you know, regulations, that this would have been like the most uplifting thing to watch, because no matter what's thrown at this guy, he is always positive, he is always believing in himself and in his players. And that's what kind of carries this series through for me is that, it's so charming and you can't not like Ted Lasso. And it's so funny because it's it's refreshing because we see a lot of movies and TV shows about coaches that are, you know, the hard drivers that make their kids, you know, kill themselves to win games. This guy is the exact opposite. And it was a total refreshing thing to see on screen. You know, well, I saw it yesterday, the other day, but last year when it came out. I did watch it during the height of the pandemic. I, I didn't discover it until last fall, early winter, and I saved it. I didn't binge it. Okay. I watched two or three episodes at a time, and I'd save it simply because I wanted something right. to help me get through, something I know or knew would have the right tone that, that fit the moment. So I get what you're saying. And no, he, and get, to your question, he has to be the one character who stays true to himself, right. no matter what. Or I don't think anything that matter any anything that happened beforehand matters. So no, so far he's shown no signs of of evolving in that way. He does shows shows signs of evolving. It's just you know pragmatic, right? And and. And, and and that makes sense to me, but right, right. The, I don't want him to lose himself. No, no, yeah. absolutely not. Would hate to see Ted Lasso lose who he is in this series, just to think that it's their attempt to try to make him more three dimensional or whatever they want to think. I, I don't think they need to touch him as far as his optimistic view on life. He's just, 
a refreshing character. You know, Jason Sudeikis plays it straight down the middle very well. Um, I, I would imagine he'll be a shoe in for uh, the best uh, actor category for a comedy series. He's that great. Um, but I will say this, you know, as fun as the character is and as fun as the other characters are, and, you know, yes, their their performances are good, but it really starts, too, with the dialogue and the writing in this series is very whip smart. It's it's clever. I kind of and this is the this is the nicest thing I can say, even though it may sound like it's not. It's kind of like the world's best running dad joke where everything like I remember um, the, the, the 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 club owner. Uh, had told Ted that he's got an inner, you know, she spoke to the owner of the son and he just deadpan straight up says, you talk to God. So it's just fun stuff like that, where it's like the classic dad jokes, but in the best way possible. And it's so clever, so smart, so fun. I just, you can't help but smile. And it, it was an easy five hours to binge watch. I'll just put it that way. Speaking to the humor, what they also do so well, and I, I spoke with Brendan Hunt and Jeremy Swift about this, is that they manage to blend elements of both British and American pop culture. Right. Deftly and, and intelligently with with wit and um, their David Bowie references and in, 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 in the first couple ep- episodes of, of season two they're they're dukes of hazard references <laughs> so it's like and and it give them credit for knowing that they're they're playing to it they're catering to an international audience sure. i mean let's face it do you really think a show about well it's happening now but prior to this a show strictly euro or uk centered yeah would be able to make any headway in America with the kind of buzz that this show has had right. if it didn't connect in a certain way. That's right. a, I, I'd say a bit xenophobic, but that's America to, to right. a very small degree. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean it in a negative sense. It's just they make it more relatable that way. Right. I mean, you're 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 coming with Bowie riffs. You're coming with Marvin Gaye riffs. So right. it's like. And and they do it so well that it scores almost every time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have to say that I can't really recall, you know, and I know I watched five hours of television in one night the other day. I can't really recall a joke just not really falling for me. Like I just, you know, falling flat or just not, not hitting the mark. Yeah. Some were better than others, but consistently funny throughout, which is not easy to accomplish when you're talking about a comedy series. I don't care if it's, a half hour or an hour long, it's very challenging to really hit the mark on, like you said, two cultures, essentially, where you have an American culture joke or maybe a UK joke. You know, there's early in season one, there's jokes about how many countries are in this country. And they, you know, they talk about how some of the absurdities of some of the things that, you know, or some of the things that are called in football, like boots instead of cleats, things like that, where it's just topical humor. It's fun. It's engaging. And it seems natural, too. And these guys just play it straight for the entire time. And, you know, it, it's just well acted, well written, well crafted. Even the soccer scenes, which could could easily be become a throwaway scene, even those actually look realistic when they actually show soccer on the field or football on the field. So they, they could have easily said, hey, this is a half hour sitcom. We don't care if the soccer is even shown at all, but they show it to some degree 
in order to just kind of validate everything they're doing and where they're at. So, you know, they, they really didn't hit miss any marks for me. And I gave it a, an easy four stars after the first season. And I'm extremely eager to watch season two here. Oh, you'll love season or episode one, especially. You'll have to let me know what you think of that. I, I will definitely do that. Well, I can't wait. So, uh, George, you have a final grade maybe from season one and maybe into these first few episodes of season two? Oh, I, I guess season one and a, that's in the first three episodes are right there with it. All right. And then, I didn't even have to think about that one. Right. Yeah. My, my wife, my wife asked me right after we watched, she's like, so that's a four stars, right? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> about it. I mean, I just, I didn't want it to end. Like you said, it's one of those things where you just, you can keep watching and watching and watching and it's, it's, it's charming. It's so charming and it's fun and it's engaging and it's unique. And it's something that a lot of comedies, you know, they go for the raunch or they go for, you know, the over the top jokes. And this one doesn't have to do that. And it works extremely well. And I just absolutely love it. So definitely check out uh, season one, currently streaming the 10 episodes. And George said there'll be 12 episodes here for season two that will release every week. Uh, but uh, you'll can, you can start watching those today as we tape the day before on uh, July 23rd on Apple TV+. Plus. Any final thoughts there, George? You notice they're not dropping all the episodes at once, right? No, they're not. Well, that's a good idea. It's a good strategy. <laughs> uh, but I will say that I will say this about App, Apple TV+. Plus. You know, like I said, we have it for free for a year. I think we're maybe like a couple of months or three months into it. Haven't really watched a ton of stuff, but this is one thing that is must-watch. And I've heard some good things about other stuff. But this is the kind of thing where it's $5 or $6 a month or whatever, and you could let all those Ted Lasso episodes accumulate and then order it for a month and binge watch. And if you want to cancel, you can. If you want to check other stuff out, maybe you keep your subscription. But I think that's sort of the beauty with some of these streamers is that you can kind of bounce back and forth if you want to. They're counting on you forgetting about bouncing back and forth. <laughs> and I'm likely to forget about it, too. But see... Pay attention in the coming months to Apple TV+. Plus. They've got a, um, a science fiction series that's apparently based on a, a series of best-selling novels called The Foundation. Right, Coming right. Very, it looks, for lack of a better term, very Dune-esque. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. Grandeur, all that. So I have to check the release date, but I'm going to be looking for that to make to have some sort of buzz right. going after its release. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, and I know we talked too last week about maybe Apple TV plus getting into the library buying uh, like, you know, Amazon bought with them at MGM. We've talked about things, Apple TV, you know, Apple has all this money in the world, so they could buy a lot of these libraries. We talked about a 24 uh, last week. Who's wanting maybe two and a half, $3 billion for their 90 or so library, probably a little bit too big of, of an ask, but if anybody could do it, Apple TV Plus certainly could, and it would certainly strengthen their library with titles like Moonlight and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Spring Breakers, you know, but there's also Midsummer, other kind of critically acclaimed hits on there that certainly people might gravitate towards if Apple TV Plus were to purchase a library like that. So hopefully Apple TV Plus steps up because, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing more from them. I mean, it's especially if they keep a price point within that $10 range, even if they expand, I would mind, you know, especially with Ted Lasso being there, I would not mind, uh, you know, keeping with it though. They seem to have a hands-off 
attitude. I know that when they first hit the uh, streaming well, there were rumors of an edict that you, you couldn't be raunchy, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I'd argue that that's changing because they realize that that you can you can segregate your children's programming and right. have programming that, for lack of a better term, yeah. it's strictly for adults. That's not pornographic. Right, a, right. Yeah. It's more. You don't want uh, Game of Thrones. Party. Yeah, you don't want Game of Thrones next to all their peanuts. Uh, you know, Charlie Brown stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> accidental click here, accidental click there. What's this, mom? Correct. Yes. But yeah, there's there's ways there's ways around that. I mean, I I you know, parental controls and things like that. There's way to to make sure that you don't get any cross contamination. And you know what? Honestly, you can do that with Netflix now with how jumbled their user interface is. You could be a kid going from one thing to another. I know Paramount Plus does a pretty nice job of of segregating their content from if you're a child or an adult, Peacock does the same thing where they have, are you a child? And, you know, even with Paramount Plus, you can actually pick the level of children's content. So if you have wee little ones or toddlers or, you know, young through seven or something, so you can kind of really, you know, earmark stuff for your kids too, depending on how old they are, which is nice. So kudos to Paramount Plus for that, I would say. But uh, yeah, definitely I'm, I'm excited for the future of Apple TV Plus, especially if they start reinvesting like they seem to be, like you said, with the foundation is coming out. Um, Ted Lasso is a great show. I have not really checked out the morning show, so I can't really, I know that's sort of their big at, you know, at release uh, streaming, you know, show that everybody seemed to love. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, that's a great too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, move on. We're going to we're going to stick to streaming uh, HBO Max. Uh, we always seem to talk about HBO Max, but they've always seemed to be in the news uh, this time around. They're talking about uh, doing uh, at least 10 movies exclusively for HBO Max in 2022. Um, you know, George, we've talked about this. We talked a lot about it with No Sudden Move, a movie that we both enjoyed that, you know, 15 years ago probably would have been positioned in the fall for an Oscar run possibly. And, you know, it gets, you know, released on July 1st on HBO max, probably kind of a throwaway for them just to get another movie out there before space jam premiered. Uh, what are your thoughts here on, on HBO max seemingly doing some reinvesting here? Uh, you know, part of it, I'll be honest in, in some respects, it's troubling for the, for the, Primarily because of the reason you stated. These these 15 years ago are likely films with the exception of the Seth Rogen pickled film. Right, right. Yeah, the American pickle there. You know. Yeah, with, with the exception of something like that, we're probably looking at a lot of films. And I, with, prior to launch, they said they were going to do this. So in one sense, this is really not news. But yeah, it kind of is. Because they're looking at films in that, that, that 30 to $40 million range which seems like a lot of money to spend for something that isn't going to generate actual revenue. But that's the world we live in now, cinematically. And it troubles me because normally you would see these films in the theater. They would be in contention, an Oscar talk. Right. And it bothers me that you you're, you're quite possibly looking at something like that go away. Now I'm sure that the the movies are going to be a, across a broad spectrum, 
I know they have a lot of things they're working on, especially now that COVID allegedly is abating. Um, <laughs> um, I know they so have. A, so that's a Tokyo, I guess. Huh? There we go. I know they have a lot of things they're working on. So you, you have to imagine a, a, a broad spectrum of films are, are going to come from this, and not of them, all of them are going to be awards caliber. You sure. will see a couple of American pickles. Right. Uh, so, still troubling, and and I I wouldn't discount them pulling a Netflix in this instance, knowing that they have a film so good that yeah they'll throw it in their HBO Max, but they're gonna stick it in theaters prior to a release on HBO Max for that that what is it a two week qualifying run. In Toronto, Chicago, New York, and LA, right? Just to 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 do that, which seems to be chintzy. It's like if you're going to release it, release it. Um, of course, we know in this instance they're trying to drive subscriptions. Period, and we'll see what happens. It, I I if it if it allows a level filmmakers, and we're talking about Soderbergh's, right? of the world, serious filmmakers to do serious films with some depth, and I'm not having to, to watch a, su a superhero movie every two or three months, most of which I like, still, right. it's overwhelming. If it, if it gives me that, okay, let's see what they're going to do. But I'm still iffy on the prospect. Yeah, I mean, there's there's good and bad here. Another takeaway, I think, is the they've really truncated that that release date window from theatrical to either you know DVD or uh, you know screen time to 45 days. Used to be 75 to 90 days. Gave you a little bit of time to forget about it. It goes in theaters. You have to watch it because you don't want to wait three months for it to come out on on Blu-ray or whatever. And then now you've got a 45. I mean, A Quiet Place 2, for instance, is already on Paramount Plus. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's that's another big takeaway. I mean, you know, so in a lot of ways, you almost wonder if these movies are going to be their lesser American pickle types rather than no sudden moves. Like if they get a no sudden move and say, we love the script, maybe the money's not great, but we still want to give it a theatrical run. I think you're right where they might give it that two-week window in a major city to, to qualify. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of nervous about, you know, is this going to be more Soderbergh movies or is it going to be more those HBO Max movies that may Adam or may not be worth it? Right. So Adam Sandler, Netflix films. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you know, when you're, you know, and, and like you said, these are 30, $40 million, maybe $50 million investments that they're not going to make money on. So you kind of wonder if they're going to try to, drive the production value down a little bit so they can at least say, well, we're not going to make a big loss, but maybe because we got a big star to, to, to you know, play a, some role in this movie, maybe we can get a couple of subscribers and that will be good enough for us, I suppose. But it's a little interesting to see what kind of a slate will come out of this because they weren't really committing to like more Steven Soderbergh movie type movies, or is it just going to be the American pickle movies that were, would never get made in a, non-streaming era see and here's my my a, a large question for me no sudden moves came out and there was 
hardly any promotion. You know what I mean? There was no marketing behind that film. I mean, that's the kind of film, no, you're not going to get that, that probably not going to get that, that 20 something that grew up on blockbusters. But you know what? You're going to get an older demographic such as myself who has money and knows that Steven Soderbergh is an Oscar winning director. Right. And you have Don Cheeto and Benicio Del Toro, right. who is an Oscar winning actor. And I think Cheeto's been nominated, if I'm not wrong. Um, and, and you have this great story and great script, and you're trying to drive subscribers. Right. You're not promoting it, but it fits in the wheelhouse of someone like me who is in that demographic where you have discretionary income to blow on a, on a, on a streaming service. And right. they, they fumbled it. They screwed up. Yeah. I feel like we may be the only two people that have watched the movie because there has been no promotion. And you're exactly right. Like if this movie came out in theaters and let's say it had at the very least a good critical, you know, was critically acclaimed, which this movie is, but it maybe didn't have a great box office opening weekend. This is the kind of movie that I bet Warners would have said, let's get a commercial on during some kind of event, sporting event, whatever it may be, where we get, Top critics give their one line, you know, pour themselves out to being a critic, you know, on the on the DVD box, a la Scooby Doo, and uh, oh, you, you went there. You went there. <laughs> We're going to talk about that someday, George. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is the kind of movie that I think Warner's would have said, okay, maybe opening weekend wasn't great, but word of mouth could expand second weekend. So maybe you buy a commercial spot for an area where you think you're going to get that discretionary income demographic, and say, hey. George Thomas from the Akron Beacon Journal loved this movie or, you know, insert whatever critic you want. And that's where I think, you know, you lose out on it with these streaming movies because I cannot tell you the last time I ever saw a Netflix commercial about a movie that came out or a TV show. Um, you know, you may have seen like, a oh, Queen's Gambit was nominated for, you know, 5,000 awards or whatever, but... You don't really see a lot of that. And I think that's one of the things that kind of is missed a little bit in the movie industry is that word of mouth to increase the second you know, week box office or in this case, you know, increase the streaming views because HBO Max is never going to show, you know, share how many you know streams they had on No Sudden Move. And maybe they don't want to because maybe it's not really worthwhile, but we'll never know that because they don't promote it and they don't maybe want to, you know, divulge any of that information. Here, here's what the powers that be at HBO Max have to con to pay attention to. Um, after the movie came out, somebody tweeted at, at, at Cheadle and said, you know, no sudden move was a great movie I didn't hear anything about. And Cheadle replied to this this user basically saying, yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> like, the star of your movie is noticing this. Well, we thank Don Cheadle for getting the word out because, I mean, you've got, Del, like you said, you've got Cheadle, Del Toro. I mean, you've got Ray Liotta. You've got Brendan Fraser. you got, like, all these character actors that everybody knows. You've got Steven Soderbergh, and you can say, from the Oscar-winning director of Traffic comes No Sudden Move. I mean, it's, it writes itself. Now, again, maybe this is the movie that HBO Max does not care to promote. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. 
I will say that every time you see an HBO Max promo, it's always the same day release stuff where they try to mash in like four or five of those movies, or maybe they'll mash in some of the, you know, the Matrix when they had the Matrix and the Harry Potter series, or or maybe the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy. So unfortunately, HBO Max kind of goes for the, hey, this is all the stuff we have, as opposed to, do you want to see something that is on streaming that you can't see really anywhere else? Because are there other movies that have been released in the middle of the summer on Netflix, on Paramount Plus, on Peacock, that are the quality of No Sudden Move? I can't think of anything that's been released on those streamers that is as good as No Sudden Move. You know, I haven't, I haven't turned on Netflix in, in weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's, they, they're, they've been buzzless. Yeah. Um, you know, Disney Plus had Loki. To, to keep it th going through. Right. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. They had a nice exclusive and they, they, they screwed it up. Yeah. That's, I guess that's the, the downside of, of streaming. The upside is that you get to, like, I got to watch a movie like no sudden move and I didn't have to go to the theater. And now I will say this, George, I did go to the theater for the first time on Friday, last Friday, I went to the theater for the first time in like 500 days, and I had a, a blast despite the uh, children talking and the kids kicking my seat. Did had you go to Space Jam? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I saw Black Widow, uh, and I did enjoy it, so I was I was thankful for going back to the theater. But, you know, no sudden move. Like I've said before, you know, it's one of those movies where if you're on the fringe about a movie, how great is it that you can watch it at home without having to pay extra for it? And that's the great thing about it, but then the bad thing about it is, it's a good movie that no one knows about now because they're not promote, you know, promoting it at all and saying, look, we've got Del Toro and Cheadle and Soderbergh all back together and no one no one knows about it unless you have HBO Max and you just all, you know, stumble across their just added list or whatever. So, it's definitely a shame how streaming has really sucked out sort of that part of the industry where Word of mouth really comes from some of those second weekend commercials or whatever. You see it if you watch TV, you've probably seen a lot of Black Widow stuff that, you know, hey, Marvel's back, whatever. And, you know, they, they promote Black Widow to the end of the earth, but you don't see that for streaming. And then it's box office cratered. Yes, it did. It lost to Space Jam, probably because of your good review. My my review was decidedly mixed <laughs> to positive. <laughs> you still we gave it a good score, George. And huh? you, said you, you gave it a good score, and you said you were in the minority in liking it. So, I did like it. Take credit for the box office of Space Jam beating Black Widow. Yeah, LeBron James would never allow that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, you know, it's funny we talk about streaming. We're gonna kind of transition into a, a new story here on. Uh, Maybe Netflix, the empire, the monopoly of streamers, has uh, certainly has a lot of competition these days. But New York Times story says Disney is chipping away at Netflix's dominance. Looking through the story, I definitely understand where they're coming from. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on. I think Disney Plus, you know, for Disney Plus to really get into it, they're going to have to just continue to churn out the original content, which they are. I mean... You know, Loki was was very successful. WandaVision scored a lot of nominations. Uh, Falcon and you know Falcon and Winter Soldier, of course, got Don Cheadle uh, his three minutes of uh, fame there for a nomination for an Emmy. But 
I still don't know that Disney Plus can rival Netflix's library right now, even though the quality of some of, Net of Disney Plus's libraries are nice with the Marvel and the Star Wars, things like that, Pixar films. But Netflix has so much more. They've got like a leg up on them because of that. So are they chipping away? Yes, but can they overtake them? Yeah, but it might take some time for them to really get to that level. That's where you and I are going to disagree because okay. Netflix Netflix's library is negligible. What they own is negligible. Okay, I, I, I get that. Um, I see what you're and and that's that may be the key reason that that Disney is chipping away. Right. The library. Now, right now, and, and we'll see how this all plays out over the course of the next year to eighteen months. Now that production is really ramping up. Right. Right. Absolutely. Now, in that story, Netflix blamed the the pandemic for slowing down their their production slate. That's fine, but you 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 have to think about what they've lost as far as access goes in the past. Let's call it eighteen months to two years. I mean, they lost the office. They they they, they lost Supernatural, if I'm not mistaken. They okay. they lost. Uh, I want to say they lost Seinfeld. They did, yes. So it's like that's a lot of people who tune in for that stuff, and they don't have that stuff that's part of the the pop culture zeitgeist. They don't. Right. They just don't. They have a brand. They don't have a library, and and that's the the differentiator for for in, in my in my estimation. Disney has their library. Disney has Fox's library, 20th Century Fox's library. But out of all that 20th Century Fox library, what are they really offering right now on Disney Plus? The only thing that comes to mind is The Simpsons. Now, yeah, there are some X-Men movies and some other you know smaller properties, but they don't have stuff like Family Guy on there and all these other things that they could really expand their library to cater to every audience, now, not just like little kids or nostalgia. Who owns Family Guy? That's the question. Is it Fox well, produced by by? I'm not quite sure who uh, who has those exact you know you know final rights to it, but I do know that Family Guy was added in the UK. If I'm not mistaken, they had a, a story earlier this year that. I think it was called Star or whatever that was being added to the Disney Plus uh, bundle in the UK or in, in somewhere in Europe. And Family Guy was among those titles that they were promoting as saying, hey, we're going to have adult content, not like really bad adult content, but certainly adult content like Family Guy. Now, see, here, here's the conundrum. Family Guy is on Hulu. Yes. Which Disney owns. Owns, yeah. So... You're, and, and they said they were going to try and keep right. Disney Plus family friendly. Family Guy don't fit that that mold. The Simpsons doesn't really fit that mold. To be blunt, I mean, how many but, times has well, a father choked his son on the Simpsons? I mean, come well, on. You're, you're absolutely right, but the Simpsons can get away with stuff because you really have to be smart. Family Guy is satire, and it's satire right in your face, featuring right. jokes, smart jokes, right. jokes about menstruation, all this stuff. They're not even subtle about it. And 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 the same with American Dad, which I'm pretty sure is Disney owns and is on now. Maybe, maybe. I yeah. think 
Turner owns that because it's uh, on TBS yeah. now. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who has the streaming rights to it because I don't believe it's on HBO Max at this point. But I'm not quite sure if it's on Hulu though. It might be on Hulu. Um, you might be right. TBS opens the first run right, so. Well, and you know, I, I I get what you're saying, the library, and and I under I completely agree with what you're saying as far as if you add in the Hulu element, and you can even add in the ESPN element with the thirty for thirty library on ESPN Plus. That yeah, Disney's library is more expansive. But if I if you're looking at Disney Plus versus Netflix, the libraries aren't the same. Now yeah, if you're adding in Hulu, then I think you're you're on the right track and saying yeah, the libraries are more expansive. And I do, I will say this, you know, watching some cable lately, there are a lot of commercials really touting the Disney bundle with Hulu and ESPN Plus. So that is maybe your your thought of it does rival, if not exceed Netflix. And you're probably right in saying that. But see, which library is more impactful? True. That's a good point. I mean, you've got all these Disney classics there, and mind you, I own those on 4K. So I, the, the likelihood I'm going to stream them is is nil because I prefer to watch stuff on, on physical media because it's superior. Right. But, but name one, one thing that Netflix owns <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. that is in that pop culture mainstream. And I don't think you can. Right. No, you're right. They cancel shows left and right after one or two seasons. It, yeah. it, they, they, it's t- at times it's like they're 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 trying to force the 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 next buzzworthy show, and it's like, yeah. you know, my in my house, I don't know if I ever told you told you this. We have it. I make my kids pay for it because I was going to cancel it, right? Because I don't watch it, right? You know, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, thinking about it, and by the way, uh, American Dad season one through 15 is on Hulu, um, although new season 16, season 16 is on TBS, so they don't do the uh, next day streaming, I suppose, on Hulu for that right um, now. But season one through 15, yeah, but season one through 15 is on Hulu. Um, so, you know, thinking about it, I really wasn't taking into account the the library that Hulu brings over. Um, but it's probably something that I should think about when I take a look. I still say this. what Give HBO Max an opportunity to grow and develop their brand because, yeah, they've already had a brand of over four decades, but let them buy more libraries like they bought South Park and Friends and Big Bang Theory and then add in some of the additional funds that they're willing to spend on Game of Thrones spinoffs or other shows that may not make the HBO lineup, but are very much worthy of making the HBO Max lineup, like Hacks, or I know they have Tokyo Vice in development. So, you know, there are some things, I think when it's all said and done, I think HBO Max is going to be right up there with anybody else because of their library, what they've purchased, their original content, like The Sopranos, like The Wire, Sex in the City, things like that people are still going to gravitate towards HBO because the quality is there along with the quantity, much like you get with Netflix and Disney and Hulu. You, you, I'm, I'm going to disagree again. Okay. HBO doesn't have to buy crap. I don't think they do either. I'm just saying if they do, 
then you can't make – I'm not saying they need to buy Seinfeld or Frazier. They've got what they need to compete anyway because they've always been $15, right? I mean, they've always cost yeah. as much, and that was without having all these other titles. But just yeah. imagine if they continue to buy more, and then you've got the, the Discovery uh, merger where they may add more stuff. You're looking at a, a big empire there. Their, their problem is they haven't, in my estimation, and that's just, I like HBO Max, I do. In my estimation, on the film size, film side of things, they haven't unleashed Warner Brothers catalog, or catalog the way it should be. Warner Brothers, you're going back 80 years or more. Yeah. And and you you go in there and the, the number of films is minimal. Now, I, I get a lot of them are probably still licensed out. Right. And I don't know if we've, we've ever discussed this, but you're going to be you're going to be looking at and, and NBC Comcast Universal has started this already. You're going to see these streaming, quote unquote, streaming services deal exclusively with their their sister studios. Absolutely. And maybe when that happens, HBO Max unleashes that entire Warner Brothers catalog. Right. But but if there's a weakness in that service, that's it. Yeah. Enough with rotating films in and out. Yeah. You have the library. Right. You have the library. Either drive your subscribers there or 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 perish at your 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 own short-sightedness, in my opinion. I mean, that's basically what, what Disney has done. They right. basically unleashed the power of everything they own. Right. Which is is a smart move. And and I guess now thinking about it, I, I do agree that they're they're certainly chipping away. Um I would say, you know, in, in the years to come, it's it's a it's a money thing. Everybody has all the money in the world. You know, the mergers are happening, whatever it may be. You know, Disney's got Hulu and ESPN Plus where they can, you know, do whatever they want with them. They have all the money in the world to make all these big movies, these princess movies, the Pixar movies, or superhero movies now, or Star Wars movies, of course. You know, Netflix has all the money in the world to just buy every single project that someone pitches because, you know, someone got bored on the on the street and said, hey, I got an idea for a movie, and Netflix says, it's greenlit, you're good to go. But HBO, I think they wanted to buy a lot of those franchises like South Park and Friends and Big Bang Theory because I think they they probably felt like there was a stigma about them, like they didn't have content for everybody. Like they're the upper class. We have Sopranos and we have, you know, uh, you know, movie shows and th things like that that people love. But it's almost like in a, a, a cult way, but in a big cult way. So they're trying to appeal to like, like someone like my wife never cared about HBO, but I wanted it. So when HBO Max was like, yeah, we're going to be the same price as regular HBO. I'm like, yeah, I'll take that because there's just more content and I can still get the HBO stuff that I want to see. Whereas with she didn't really care about, I mean, she watched Entourage with me because I had the DVDs of Entourage, but you know, she has no care in the world to watch Sopranos or The Wire or Game of Thrones but she watched Big Bang Theory. She's watched a little bit of Friends, a little bit of this and a little bit of that because there's more mass appeal now, I think, with their library expanding because they have all that other stuff. Well, see, if, if I'm not, yeah, Big Bang Theory, is a, it's a case of that. that's a no-brainer. You want to know why? 
it was a Warner uh, show yeah. on as CBS. Was, yeah, as was Friends was a Warner show on NBC. Yeah, that's, but they still had to negotiate those rights for Friends, though. They still had to buy the the library of Friends. Hey, that's that's the left hand paying the right hand. <laughs> <laughs> they still had to pay a lot of uh, money to that hand. That's for sure, though. <laughs> that's the left hand paying the right. Hand. <laughs> well, you know, I don't I don't think they need to say, oh, well, we need to start, you know, going after, you know, like Peacock was smart in the sense that, yeah, the the end goal was to always get the office. Because that's what drove people to Netflix. But if you go on Peacock right now, if you're like, okay, you know, our friend Chris Pugh, he loves sitcoms. If you're a sitcom junkie, you've got Parks and Recreation, Community, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But then you've also got CBS shows like King of Queens, Everybody Loves Raymond. They have Two and a Half Men on there. I mean, it's like a sitcom lover's dream because and that's what they bought up because they were smart about it they you know they also have yellowstone as well for the you know maybe people in our age bracket you know that demographic so you got to be smart about what you buy i don't think i don't think hbo max needs to buy anything else i don't you know they had the merger of course with discovery so who knows what that may bring but in theory they just wanted to have those types of shows because they wanted to make sure that they could appeal to everybody because you know someone like my wife didn't care about HBO until Big Bang Theory was on and she had never seen it when it was out. She had watched a few episodes here and there. And then all of a sudden she binge watched every season when we got HBO Max for the first time. I got a question. Has she yeah. not heard of TNT? Or What's TBS? that? Has she not heard of TBS? <laughs> well, that's, but, but yeah, she has. And that's where she, I watched, I used to watch Big Bang Theory. Now I watched it religiously for the first few seasons and then, kind of got into more sporadic viewing as we did or did not have cable. So I watched it when it was out, when it first came out. And then I would watch it every now and then on TBS on reruns. And that's how she got into it because she never really watched TV like that. So then all of a sudden it's on there. She said, oh, I've seen my husband watch it a couple times. It seemed funny. Let's watch it. So she binge watched the entire series on HBO Max. Commercial free, by the way, too, which is another... You know, you and her are the same. She loves commercial free. You do too. I don't really care. We have the commercial plan for Peacock and um, and Hulu based it's through our phone for Hulu because we have the Disney bundle through Verizon. But then Peacock, I just signed up for like a, a promo offer for like $10 for three months and it's the commercial tier. Not a, not a big fan of it because sometimes their commercials come in at awkward moments, but I don't mind commercials because I grew up watching TV and commercials were on TV. So I grew up and I don't mind it, I guess, you know? Well, see, even, uh, yeah, I like commercial free on, on first run, on yeah. first run stuff. You know what? It's weird. I I watched the Big Bang Theory on, on TBS. Okay. With the commercials. Okay. I, I have HBO Max. I could easily, right. uh, so, you know, it, 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 it depends on the situation. Do I have time to kill or no? Am I just trying to fill? finish off an episode, if I'm just trying to finish off an episode, right. like after we're done, there's an episode of Bones I was watching. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to see if I can watch a commercial for East someplace else. I do that with South Park too sometimes on Comedy Central. I'll watch South Park with commercials, even though I could watch any episode I want. If I go to HBO Max and just click a couple buttons, I could watch my favorite episodes as opposed to whatever they're making me watch, which, you know, it's kind of an it's kind of unique, but like I said, I'm still kind of in. I grew up in that on that 
I didn't grow up in the streaming era. I grew up in cable where I, I waited for the commercials. I watched them and then the programs back on, or, you know, the only time I've ever really not pined for it well, for sports, obviously, but I'm, I was so used to it that it was weird to trans translate. It didn't translate very well when we got Netflix for the first time, like eight years ago when we first started dating and, you know, we were, we didn't have cable and we just, you know, we we're watching Netflix and I'm like, Oh, this is kind of fun. I can watch whatever I want. And then now, you know, now that we've been together for almost 10 years now, it's like you, there's too much stuff to choose. So sometimes watching cable is even better because you can regiment yourself and you can watch what's on TV instead of having to choose what's on, you know, on your TV. I won't disagree there. <laughs> Any uh, final thoughts here on uh, Disney chipping away at Netflix or my uh, my ever-dying love for HBO Max becoming the monopoly of uh, TV streamers? And I, I've said this now for like four months, it seems, but I, I'll never get away from it because I think HBO has the best quality lineup that you can get anywhere. Bold prediction, Disney yeah. Plus is the number one streamer in two years. I can't disagree with that because they, when they rolled out, I can't remember what their Disney day is or whatever it's called, where they do all their, you know, the releases of all their stuff. They definitely have a ton of content that's getting, getting going. But I will say this. I mean, I think the pandemic kind of sucked for HBO Max because they would have had a lot more released either late last year or early and this my, year that got my, back. And they, they had a plan to maximize their DC content. Right. I'm, I'm still waiting on their Green Lantern series. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. So you're going to have them I mean, if they're look, for me, it's if I'm picking a number one streaming service, a favorite streaming service, it's probably at this point, it's probably Paramount Plus because of all the Star Trek stuff. That that that's just me. Fair enough, yeah. HBO Max is a close second. A very close second. Right. Disney Plus. If my kid hadn't killed Star Wars for me, would probably be number one. Right. But I've got a Star Wars obsessive living with me, and he he drove me absolutely nuts <laughs> with for years. And it's like, and it's like, finally, I just said, "You screwed up my childhood." No, I don't want to watch Star Wars with you because <laughs> I didn't, I don't. What what would Star Wars like? Anything Star Wars or a specific Star Wars? Anything. Okay. Fair enough. I'm, I'm an HBO. I mean, the last time I watched Disney Plus, I watched the, the series opener of Loki. Before that, it was Luca. Uh, my wife likes to watch Disney Plus. I, I gravitate towards HBO Max first and then go from there. You know, we I did the uh, 50% off deal on Paramount Plus where you got it for a year for 50% off. So it was one lump sum. Oh, so that, deal they wouldn't, that deal they wouldn't give me as a subscriber already. So okay. I know, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hate on me for that, George. But it was a good deal, though. I think it was, what, $50 for a full year of commercial free? And I'm like, I'll take a chance on it. And yeah, I, I don't know that there's anything that really, like, ultra appeals to me. I mean, there's some nostalgia stuff that, you know, I know they have the Rugrats stuff and they have the iCarly stuff. But they don't really have a lot of stuff right now that appeals to me, but I'm kind of intrigued by some of the things they have. Obviously, they have the Godfather series on there, Indiana Jones. Uh, Minority Report's one of my favorite sci-fi movies in the last 25 years. 
uh, Zodiac's on there, one of my favorite David Fincher movies. So they have some good titles on there. They don't have a deep library of original content yet, but I think that's to come, you know. There's another one, not maximizing their studio library. Exactly. I completely and I, agree. And it's probably because all the stuff is licensed somewhere. Right. Like I said, right. all this stuff is likely to be coming home. Yes. And you're going to see fewer and fewer of these licensing deals, I think. Right. Just imagine, just imagine what streaming will look like in maybe the next few years where, you know, like you said, NBC Universal is going to, you know, gather up all their Fast and Furious movies. Like, I'm sure there'll be Fast and Furious 27. They're going to gather all that stuff and all that content. Paramount's going to gather all their Mission Impossible stuff. And, you know, Warner's is going to have their catalog. So if anything, you know, Netflix might be the odd man out because that's maybe why they're doing the quantity over quality because they don't have a, a legacy catalog where they can just pick and choose. Hey, we've got, you know, this great movie lying around and now it's finally ours again. So we can just put it on Paramount plus or Peacock or whatever. Whereas Netflix does not have that. They have to buy this stuff. And maybe that's why they, they try to churn out so much because they know they can't do that when in a couple of years, when all these licensing agreements probably go away, you're going to have the the matrix and the Harry Potter series on HBO max. And you're going to have all the mission impossible stuff on Paramount. You're going to have the fast and furious stuff on on Peacock. So it's kind of unique. Yes, sir. All right, George. Well, do you want to talk Olympics really quick? Uh, I know. No, no, we can, we, 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 no, no, no. George says no, everybody. So sorry. Uh, <laughs> do not like the Olympics. Yeah. I do not. That's okay. not just the politics, which is a big reason. Okay. I just don't dig the Olympics. Yeah. I do not. No problem I, there. Yeah, no problem. I probably, have, I, have, I probably haven't watched them since the Dream Team in '92. Was oh, it? Okay, okay. What's have that? you ever had the opportunity to cover um, Olympians or go to an Olympic Games or anything like that? The closest I've come is Clayton Murphy out of the University of Akron. Okay. Won a, a, I think Clayton won a silver in the 800 meters in Barcelona in '16. Okay. That's the only time I've been touched by Olympic greatness. <laughs> Did you I, have any uh, stories that you had to do for the Beacon Journal for uh, Olympic hopefuls or anything this year? Clinton, uh, this year? No. Yeah. No. Okay. So, you know, it, it just, they, yeah. Hang. Some, for some reason, I would have, ta I, could, I swear I could have taken you as someone that would get really into the uh, trampoline uh, events or maybe the rhythmic gymnastics, George. Yeah, yeah right right there. You know what I'll be doing? I'll be watching reruns on something on a streaming service. All right, there you go. I will probably check out the Olympics. I'm, I'm sort of a, a, a softy that way. I've, I've grown up watching the Olympics every, every four years, or I guess in this case, fifth year, but... Uh, uh, yeah, sometimes it's a little watered down, but I still enjoy the sort of the the pageantry of it. Although I will say uh, it was kind of sullied a few years ago when HBO Sports had that riveting uh, one hour long program for their for their monthly show where they uh, kind of dissected the Rio Olympics and how really piss poor the, the 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 county the community was around the Olympic Village and everything and how water. Poverty and everything, yeah. They did a fantastic job. Probably the best uh, sports journalism I've ever seen, especially on TV. 
but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, kind of sullied the uh, the name of the Olympics where they showed, um, you know, Greece uh, when Athens hosted the Olympics and uh, all their facilities are just sitting there just doing nothing and collecting weeds. So kind of a, an interesting story, but uh, I'm, I'm still going to probably check it out. I have to admit, as we record this on Thursday, I've already checked out a little bit of women's softball and some soccer as well. So some things get a little started early. And also I do, we do have a, a local Fremont, uh, uh, the Fremont News Messenger. We covered uh, a guy who's uh, from Fremont, uh, works in Ottawa County in Port Clinton, who's an archer, Jacob Wookie. So he's a, a, a final, probably a final Olympic for him. He's 35 years old. So we've, uh, follow, we'll follow him along as well. And we also have a Paralympic athlete that competes as well, uh, Taylor Farmer. She's a shooter. But see, those are the stories you should cover. I right. mean, I, it, it's just the rest of it. Knowing, knowing that everything else that you just mentioned is happening in in the in the shadows of all this money spent right. on the right. spectacle. It's like really, yeah. Okay. All right. And so, just to think, in, in seven years, we'll be doing this in Los Angeles. The uh, the city of Los Angeles will host the 2028 game. So everybody will be excited about all the money that will be spent for the two weeks of games. And then everything will just be uh, kind of nothing. But it's funny because I don't care about any of the like things that you would think I would care about. Like, I don't care about Team USA basketball. Like, I will probably not watch them play. I, I kind of like the Olympics for the track and field events and for swimming and some other things that you don't normally see. So uh, that's kind of like what I like to watch. And um, I have been watching on Peacock. They do have this uh, docu-series of the uh, women's gymnastics team. It's called Golden, and it's some other long title after that. But it kind of follows some of these young women as on their quest to become Team USA gymnasts, and it's kind of a nice show. I believe tomorrow, or actually maybe today, the uh, the final episode should be uh, dropping, so I'll probably finish that series up in advance of the Olympics. But uh, we'll get you there, George. We'll get you. We'll get you in on uh, rhythmic gymnastics at some point, where someone's like you know throwing a ball to themselves and having to catch it while they're doing flips. So we'll get you there soon enough. Not a chance. <laughs> All right, George. Well, we definitely appreciate your time as always. Uh, anything coming up next week that uh, you'll be reviewing? New Matt Damon, Stillwater. Stillwater. All right. Tom McCarthy, Oscar-winning uh, screenwriter, not director for uh, for Spotlight, one of my favorite movies. Uh, so we'll be excited to hear your thoughts on uh, the new Matt Damon, Oklahoma. He's an Oklahoman in this one, so I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see how that works out, but. Uh, all right, George, well, we definitely appreciate your time. We'll see you next week. You guys have a great day and keep on streaming. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.